0: Thank you, Chris and Carla. During Back to Bethlehem, our 12 to 14 kind of close David guides that we have leading people through Bethlehem conclude that guide tour by sharing the gospel with those who have gone through Bethlehem. The verse that I wrote out when David and I were preparing what the guides would share, uh, the verse that came to my mind that encapsulates the gospel so well, uh, together with the Christmas narrative, is, of course, the verse that Chris read to us, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. So that will be our text today. Uh, to help us, perhaps you heard uh, the guides say, in the fullness of time God sent for it." His son, born of a woman, born under the law. And you maybe had thoughts and questions about what that means. And so we've got the joy of doing that. Furthermore, you had the candle of prophecy where we talked about Jeremiah and how that he talked of Rachel's tears. And again, it's quoted in Matthew as fulfillment of Christ coming to this world uh, to remove the mournful exile. And surely he's done that for those who know Christ, right? Uh, we're not bound in our sin anymore. Praise God for that. And then we had the candle of deity. Spoke out of, we spoke out of Hebrews 10, uh, how that the Son of God spoke in conversation with the Father, in eternal counsel before He came to this earth. And then today, this fits great well with the doctrine of humanity. So, let's read this wonderful text again. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come. Now, I'm going to preach this phrase by phrase to help you understand Jesus Christ and how he came to this earth and how it was done in the fullness of time. So think about the phrases. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And here's the resulting facts. So that... We might receive adoption as sons. Redemption and adoption. So, one of my favorite songs, Christmas hymns, is the song, Christian Men Rejoice. I like that song a lot. Now, even the world understands that believers celebrate Christ's birthday at Christmas Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, he probably wasn't born on December 25th. Okay, just put that out of your mind, because he probably wasn't. But, uh, we do celebrate the day that the Son of God condescended, whatever day that was, from heaven to earth. And the world recognizes that believers celebrate December 25th as the birthday of our Lord, humanly speaking, coming to this earth. But the reason why Christians rejoice so much at Christian at Christmas is found in this wonderful song, Good Christian Men Rejoice. The second stanza says this, Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye hear of endless bliss. Jesus Christ was born for this. Now listen to this. He hath opened the heavenly door and we are blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this. Yes, Christ was born for this. Now, think of that phrase, He hath opened the heavenly door. What do you know about a door? Swings both ways. Christ the Lord walked out of heaven so that we could walk into heaven. That's the gospel, right? And this text tells us exactly why the Lord Jesus walked out of heaven, the Son of God, so that we could walk in. He gives us that explanation. So let's look at how Paul outlines this for us, gives us a summation of the gospel. He gives us these four staggering statements that we need to look at. Here's the first one. God is the Lord of history. Did you see that in the first phrase? When the fullness of time had come. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that all of history is pregnant with meaning. And it's not happening by happenstance. It is controlled By our sovereign God. He is the Lord of history. It implies that as it's unfolding and unrolling before us. That there are promises. That God has and will fulfill. That's what it means to to bring about this statement. In the fullness of time. He's telling us that God. The God of eternity had a purpose. In time and history. And in the present. It unfolded with a fixed end. The consummation when God would send forth His Son. That's the teaching that's given here in the fullness of time. There's a plan that's been going through the ages. It's been unfolding. And it's been moving toward a goal. And before this point, the goal was moving toward the fullness of time when God sent forth His Son. Think about this for a moment. In the realm of... Of God being the Lord of history. When Jesus came to this earth. It was the right time theologically. Why? Because the Old Testament was the shadow. Of what was going to take place. We know that from reading the Bible. You read the Old Testament. And everything about it was leading up to this time of the fullness of time. Think about the promise. That God had made to Abraham. Think about the law that had been given to to Moses, Think about all the prophecies that had been given over and over and over again. So, this was the culmination of the plan devised in the eternal counsel of God that came to fruition in the fullness of time. Theologians call this salvation history or redemptive history. Uh, how do you view salvation history? Well, you view it all the way from Genesis 3.15. He says to the enemy... That there will be enmity between you and the woman, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And here's the fulfillment in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 of all of redemptive history, culminating in the fact that the Son of God condescended from heaven and came to this earth. So the fullness of time came. And so this statement relates strongly to what many of you women are experiencing at this point in our church. And if you've got children, all of you women have experienced it. You know what I'm talking about? It's called pregnancy. We watch you around here, and your stomach gets bigger and bigger and be- Shall we keep going? And bigger, and bigger and bigger and bigger until the time comes. And the ladies will say something like this. The time has come. Now, we guys know what that means, Right? whether you're asleep at 12 o'clock at night in the middle of a snowstorm like we were when Elena was born, you know the time has come and you can't stop it, right? No matter what you do. So this is what Paul is saying. Instead of natural woman's pregnancy, he was talking about the pregnancy of history itself. And God Almighty is the Lord of history. And theologically, he was unfolding his plan and it finally reached his consummation. When the Son of God condescended to this earth. Wrapped in human flesh and was born in Bethlehem. It was the right time theologically. It was also the right time religiously. You know, the paganism of the Roman world had pervaded the entire Roman Empire. And it had been taken to lows in Jesus' day like no other. Just the amount of paganism... There was a spiritual hunger, not just among the Israelites who anticipated the coming of the Messiah, but even among the pagans of the Roman culture and that landscape. It was the right time theologically and religiously, but also culturally. Do you know what had happened at this point? There was a common language among the people, and it was called Koine Greek. It was the language of the day. Uh, There's a reason why your New Testament is written in Greek. Because it was the language of the day. Much like English would be the world language. In that day, it was Greek. And so that's not not an accident. God sent forth the Son when it would be the easiest for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Because the known language was Koine Greek. Isn't that awesome? Our God even controls the languages of the day in order to get his gospel to the ends of the earth. It was also the right time politically. Most of you probably studied the Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace, and that prevailed. What happened? Well, Rome subdued all the nations around it, and there was uh, roads that permitted travel all over the known world. That's why we call it the Roman roads when you share the gospel. But it came from the fact that there were specialized roads that went everywhere. Again, God knew what He was doing. He sent His Son at the fullness of time so that the gospel could go down those roads by Paul and Peter and everybody else to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I want to remind you that it was not like God was sitting up in the heaven and He just randomly said, hey, this is a great time to send my Son to the world. No, folks, God had been designing all of history to bring it up to this particular point, And he is sovereign. And he designed every aspect. Of all of history. To bring it to this point. Of bringing the son of God into our world. I want to remind you that God has another appointment. For Christ's return. And it's not going to be an accident either. And it's coming in the future. Uh, it's sovereign des- sovereignly designed by God. In Revelation 22.20 says. He who testifies about these things. Says Yes. And I come quickly. That was the consummation of time. In the fullness of time. Our God is the Lord of history. No president, no dictator. Our God is the Lord of history. Number two, God sent His Son into the world. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. So what is the culmination of it all? Of God designing history? It was to send His Son forth into this world. And there is no doubt that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation teaches us that the greatest event to occur in all of human history was when God, the Son, was sent into this world. What an awesome thing to contemplate. People of all walks of life, no matter what their belief is, uh, have concluded, uh, whether they believe it actually happened or not, they would say, this is the greatest event in all of human history. Yet, think about how we live in our post-Christian culture. Uh, Even some Christians that know better seek to hide this reality. As one person said, people try to hide their Christ-haunted past. Because whatever they try to make Christmas you can't get rid of Jesus. You can't get rid of Christ, and so the world attempts by a bombardment of political correctness to skew the meaning of what we are actually celebrating. It's quite sad that after two thousand years, we've realized that most of the that the most significant event in all of history has suddenly uh, caused people to become angry just when you mention the word Christmas. That's why they call it Xmas. Holiday seasons. Why? Because they don't even want to mention the name of Christ. That's the sad predicament. Well, I want to remind you that the sending of the Son into the world cannot be covered up uh, nor ignored by our culture. It's just not going to happen. You You can replace Merry Christmas with Seasons Greetings or Happy Solstice. But you can even replace AD with CE, which means Common Era. Do what you want to. But you can't ever erase the awesome, supernatural entrance of God in human flesh. It will not be erased. Now, back to the passage. That was an aside, right? didn't cost you anything. God, according to the text, sent forth His Son. Now, there's an implication in the text, right? If He sends Him forth, then He didn't have a beginning. Right? He sends forth the Son. That means that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit existed for all eternity, co-equal. Uh, to say you send somebody forth is the conclusion is that Christ was the eternal Son of God with the Father. He does not become the Son when he is born. He is the Son of God for all eternity. He is pre. He is eternally pre existent. And he's sent forth from heaven in order to be born. That's why Jesus could pray in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 5. Father, restore in me the glory that I had with you before the world was. You can't pray that if you didn't have the glory before, right? And we know from John 1 that it was actually the Son of God who created the world. So Paul says that God was unfolding a plan. He sent forth His Son that was eternally at the Father's side. There's something else here. When we read those words in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, we ought to marvel at that, should we not? We should, but there's also something else to marvel at. There's never been a greater display of love than for us to read God sent forth His Son. He didn't send forth the son to die for family members and friends. He sent forth the son of God to die for enemies like me and you. We were alienated from the life of God. We were strangers from the commonwealth of God. David made a statement and not it's not against my music, guy. All right? But he said that it wasn't the intent for Jesus to die. Yes it was. He just didn't deserve it. Are y'all listening? It had been the counsel of the Father for all eternity. And it was intended that God would bruise the Son. It was the plan for all eternity. Now think about that, folks. That's the love of God manifested. Here's the love of God demonstrated. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated His love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Scarcely will will a man die for a righteous person. But we were enemies of God. So herein, when we see God sent forth His Son, it ought to play on your heartstrings, and that verse you learned, maybe the only verse you've ever learned from the Bible, John, not Jesus wept, right? But John 3:16, "For in this manner, God loved the world that He gave His only one unique Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. There is love. Herein is love. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. So, in this expression, we see the deity of the son, he was sent forth, and we see the love of God for us. And it all comes together in this wonderful verse. All right, number three, we're rolling right along, right? Jesus, the son of God, was born of a virgin. God is the Lord of history, God sent the son forth. And then we learn from this text that He was born of woman, born under the law. So Jesus, the Son of God, was born of a virgin. Notice the phrase. He was pre-existent, and yet He was born in our time and space. Isn't that amazing? To consider the transcendent God of the universe who created all things, and now He's going to come to this earth and be born inside of this world that He created. That's amazing to consider that. What a graphic depiction Paul gives us. He was born out of woman. The eternal son of God was born out of woman. God the Son partook fully and completely of our humanity. The son of God for 9 months developed in his mother's womb. Amazing. When the time, when the fullness of time came, this little one came forth. It was not a magical birth. Okay, It was a supernatural conception, right? When we say virgin birth, that's the main thing we're saying. It's, it's virginal conception by the Holy Spirit of God. But it wasn't a magical birth. It wasn't a sterile birth like you go through in the hospital. Everything about it was pretty nasty, dirty, Middle Eastern, backwoods, Bethlehem. No nurses. Think about the God of eternity. who created all things. The only trumpet blowing was the braying of the mule. That's pretty much it. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the ear of a shepherd's sheep the night that the Son of God came to this earth? <clears throat> you know, you start thinking about that when you're the shepherds. And we're, we're doing this uh, on these nights. And man, you think about that night. But folks, it was real. Real humanity. Smells. Every aspect that goes along with Birth is right there, and the Son of God who created all things in real humanity came like we are, yet without sin. The Son of God. Did you notice that he connects the fullness of time with that first gospel promise? I don't want to go over there and read it, but Genesis 3.15 says gives you that paradigm of you will bruise his heel, but you shall, he'll bruise your heel, you'll crush his head. And it talks about being born out of woman. Well, the writer of Galatians, which is Paul, is connecting those go- that gospel. Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelium. That's Latin for Proto-Evangelion. Proto in Greek means first. Euangelion means good news. So the first time we hear of good news in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. God has a plan. He's going to stomp the head of the serpent through the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in here in 4-4 we see that reality take place. He promised that it would be of the seed of the woman, and here we have the Son of God coming to this earth. It's an echo of Isaiah 9:6. For unto us a child is born, but yet he's the son that was given. Right? So we have the echo. Throughout church history, the church has affirmed the supernatural conception of. And virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Does our church believe that? I hope you do. I came to the wrong church if we don't, right? We believe in the supernatural conception and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, we have to differentiate a little bit between virgin birth and incarnation. The incarnation is God coming to this earth. The virgin birth is the vehicle of which God used to come to this earth. And we can say, well, could God have come another way? Things impossible through man are possible through God. But you know, when you start studying the virgin birth, you come away saying this. That makes perfect sense, how God would come into this world, right? And we could argue about the Adamic curse, that the reason he was born out of woman was because the blood of Adam would have been coursing through his veins. But what about his mom's blood? Be careful. That's how your Catholics get that Mary was divine, the bearer of God because she was divi- divinity, therefore Jesus wasn't affected by Adam's curse. Hot wash! Her blood was just like Adam's blood. She was a sinner just like Adam was a sinner. The reason he was virgin born, there's something there of the Adamic curse. I agree with that. But here's the deal. He came that way because God intended for him to come that way. Without that spotlight at all of Adam. Because Adam was the first and sinned. And Christ is the second Adam. And he never sinned. But the virgin birth, folks, is something that we believe. I wouldn't give you half a chance of heaven if you deny the virgin birth of Christ. I wouldn't give you half a hallelujah chance. Why? Because the Bible says he was born of a virgin. That's all I've got to hear. Right? Furthermore, you're discarding uh, the history, historical teaching of the Bible, if you deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit, just like he brooded over the face of the waters and, and created the earth, he gave supernatural conception to a woman who had never had sexual intercourse with a man. That's our God, folks. And He did it. He accomplished that. So these two phrases encapsulate our Lord's entrance into this world. If you affirm the incarnation of Christ, that God became a man, then you equally have to affirm the virgin birth. As a matter of fact, be real careful. If you deny that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh, you are the spirit of the Antichrist. 1 John Chapter 2. To deny that Christ has come in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. Pretty important for you to believe that he came the way the Bible said he came. So, these two phrases. The virgin birth is the vehicle through which the incarnation takes place. Now, if you believe that, I would say that you're orthodox in your belief. Okay? But it's more than that. It ought to drive us to our knees and marvel at an awesome God. It's the sovereign mystery, the sacred majesty of the fact that the Son of God would come down and be born in Bethlehem. It's not enough just to believe it. You ought to worship God because of it. You ought to worship the newborn king because of it. Now, final point. Jesus, the Son of God, was born under the law. He was not only born out of woman, but born under the law. What does that mean? Well, to cut to the chase, He was born under the Old Covenant. In fact, do you remember the text? He was at eight days of age. He was taken to be circumcised in the temple. Y'all remember that story? Sacrifices were being made. He was born as one who had to keep the law. He was born under the yoke of the Jewish law. He was required under the obligation of the law to keep the law. And keep the law he did. He He kept it both by letter and by spirit. So note these brief statements. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now is going to give you two reasons why that all took place. To redeem those under the law and to create or to receive us as sons and daughters adopted into God's family. Let's look at that and then we're done. The fact is, we all came into this world under the law. Every one of you, you may say, well, I'm not a Jew, and I don't acknowledge Judaism. doesn't matter. Please understand the fact that Adam is your father. And Adam came into this world under the headship of Almighty God. And Adam was told a straight directive. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day that you eat, you shall surely die, and so will you. And so do we, right? Uh, we die, we're, we come into this world, and every day you take a step is closer to your physical death. But you're also going to die spiritually without Christ. Why? Because you're under, you're, you're an enemy, enemy of God all because of one man's sin where sin entered into this world. Everyone who comes into this world is under the obligation to the Lord God Almighty who is your creator. Don't you think he's got that right? Now, if you, if, if you didn't create yourself, and God did, does the, does the one who creates the person, don't you think he ought to have a right to say how you ought to live? Now, in America, we don't like to hear that. We think we created ourselves. But the standard is morally binding on every creature, whether you ever acknowledge it or not. Adam broke the law. And the law, of course, was stamped on two stones for Moses But even greater in Romans, the Bible says the law of God is stamped on your conscience. It's stamped on your conscience. And God has every right to expect as your creator for you to obey. Yet the Bible says that we're all like sheep that have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We know we've come into this world under the law. And we're under obligation to obey the Lord God. And the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why did God send His Son into this world? That He might redeem those who are under the law. Praise God. Amen? That's what you're under. But He sent the Son of God into the world to redeem those who are under the law. He comes into this world, not just under the law, but He actually will bear the curse of the law for us. Back up a little bit. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Let's read verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And what's the, what's the answer to that? You can't. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why did God demonstrate so much love by sending His Son into the world? Because this, this one, God's only Son, the eternal Son of God, was sent forth into this world to redeem, which means to pay, purchase you by paying a price. And He did so for every one of us because we've all broken the law of God. Here's a Christmas reality for you. We're all sinners. And we all are in need of redemption. can't save yourself. You can't redeem yourself. John 3.16 makes it clear there's a danger that everybody faces. If you die in your sins, you will perish. That's the danger. We skip that in John 3:16. You need to start that verse from the rear and go to the front. Not perish. Why is, why is the, there's a danger. If Jesus, if you don't turn to Christ only, the one that God sent forth into this world to redeem you of your sins, if you don't turn to him, you will experience eternal torment in hell. You will perish. That's exactly what the Bible is teaching. Aren't you so thankful? That God sent forth His Son. And we're all lawbreakers. In desperate need of forgiveness. And Jesus Christ took upon Himself the very sin that you deserve to pay for. And He took it upon Himself and bore that curse in His body on the tree. That's good theology, isn't it? That's what the Word of God teaches us. Praise God. So, He bought us through redemption. But check this out. He brought full acceptance into God's family for those who believe. The Bible says, what wonderful words, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We've been adopted into the family of God. We receive not only redemption because we're lawbreakers, but as wonderful as that is, it doesn't end there. That's great news. But we receive full acceptance into the family of God because God has adopted us through Christ into His family. Redemption is for the forgiveness of sins because of God's holiness. Adoption, according to the text, is to be brought into God's family through the Lord Jesus Christ. You, don't want to know, you want to know why God sent forth His Son? Again, just look at the courtroom. We did this a little bit last week. Think about the courtroom. We all stand at the judgment bar of God. We've all broken the law of God, and we are absolutely guilty. We're lawbreakers. But God sent, sends forth His Son in the fullness of time into this world... He is one who obeyed the law perfectly. He dies in your place. He redeems you by paying a price of the curse of the law. And now from a legal perspective, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're not only exonerated, but you're counted righteous. All because of Jesus. You're no longer a criminal against the kingdom of God But you're a citizen who has perfectly obeyed the law of God, not on your own merit, but because Jesus did it for you, you have done it also. And you stand accepted before the Father. Yet there's more to it. Now think about the drama of the courtroom, but how about the drama of the living room? You never could eat at the Father's table, but now you can. You were estranged, alienated from the life of God, but now you've been brought in. God has made you a part of His family. Not only are your sins forgiven, but you can pull up to the Father's table in the living room and eat. That's good news! Right? You're adopted into the family of God. We could never obey those laws that God wanted us to obey. Nor could we be His children. But now, our sins are forgiven, and we're adopted into the family of God. So it is through His life, death, burial, and resurrection, that we have salvation. Thank God for the fullness of time. When He sent forth His Son for our redemption, this reality will never change. And so I can stand as a preacher of the Word and commend to you the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the only one that can save sinners from their sins and the only one that can cause you to be adopted into the family of God. David Platt is the president of the International Mission Board. He's also a... Tremendous guy, great preacher, theologian. The Platts have adopted some children from Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan. yes. And one of his children's favorite question, once he began to think about his life was, Dad, why am I your son? You know, when you go over to a foreign country and you pick up a little kid and bring him home, as he gets a little older and finds out you're not his biological dad, that's a reasonable question, don't you think? Why, why is it that you came all the way over here and chose me to be your son? And David will say to him, I love you. And when he asks, well, why? So, well, well, uh, I loved you and you're my son. And he said, well, why is that the case? Well, I came to get you. I came to get you. And I love you, and you are my son. Oftentimes, we ask the Lord God the very same question. Why, are, why did you come get me? Why did you save me? And God says to us, because you are my son. But why? Because I wanted you, I came to get you. That's real adoption, folks. Uh, the one who adopts has to meet all the qualifications. Don't you? You know, Some of you know this. You don't meet all the qualifications you can't adopt. Well, I want to tell you that the Son of God was the only person who met all the qualifications. Fully divine, fully human, fully righteous. Didn't stop there. He was determined to come down from heaven to redeem you. And He died to rescue you. To God be the glory. Father, God, we just stand in awe to think about You sending forth Your Son. But Lord, also in the same breath, we know that you're faithful to your promises, and your word says the Son will come again. Just like He left off the Mount of Olives in the Book of Acts, He is coming again. But the second time He comes, it won't be to die. In, it won't be to be born in Bethlehem and to die on Calvary. It will be to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, I thank you for the fullness of time, that you control all of history. Which is an encouragement to us that are living here on earth that love you and belong to you. That Lord even in our lives the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God and to those who are called according to your purpose. Lord you're working it out. Doesn't mean that all of it is good. It means that when you're done it's all going to be exactly how you would have it to be. We can have confidence in that. God that you're in control of our lives. Father for the lost person under the sound of my voice today. You sent Your Son into this world to save sinners like the ones I'm speaking to. Like me. Lord, You sent Your Son to save people who had broken the law of God. And all of us have. Thank You for the perfect Son. Perfect obedience. The perfectly divine, fully divine. But yet, that became fully human. That He might be the perfect sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. To meet Your holiness. Your standards of holiness. And also... To be able to die, you've got to be human. Hebrews 2 reminds us of that, that Carla read. You had to partake of human flesh. You had to become like us in all ways. Yet you came to be like us without sin. And offered that perfect substitute on the cross. God, thank you for substitution. You died in our place and on our behalf so that we might be saved. You bought our redemption and you brought us into your family. And we praise you for it. For Christians, Lord, may we marvel at it. May we worship you each and every day more and more because of what you've accomplished in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.